Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. Today we'll be talking about bully coaches and what they can do to the psyche of a high school player, no matter how talented that player is. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. You can also check out our NBA-focused podcasts, including Knuck If You Buck, Cavalier Central, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to the head coach of the women's basketball team at John Carroll University, Beth Andrews. Now listen to this, folks. Coach Andrews served as acting head coach for John Carroll from July until November of last year before she was named the program's 13th head coach in its 50-year history. Now in her first season, she led the team to a 13-2 record the Ohio Athletic Conference's regular season title, and the OAC's tournament title. And for her efforts, she was named the 2021 OAC Coach of the Year. Coach Andrews, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Dave, thanks for having me. That's that's quite an introduction. I hope I can, you know, meet all those expectations for this podcast, but I'm really excited to be here. Well, from one blue streak to another, I know you will live up to those expectations. And coach, you know, like so many other coaches who join us on the podcast, emailed me at courtsideculturepodcast at gmail. And I'm so glad she did because I have so many questions for her about what she's accomplished. And so coach, let's start it off this way. My first question for you is how did you manage to keep the lady blue streaks ball rolling in your first year as head coach? Well, um, you know, during a pandemic, I would say that nothing was exactly easy this year. Um, but what I was blessed with and very lucky to stay a part of since I was the assistant coach the past two seasons um, was getting this amazing group of girls to work with. Um, you know, I really had all the right pieces to continue the success of this program. Sarah Sprecker was a fifth year senior. Fifth year senior. Danny Carlson decided to come back for a fifth year. Um, you know, with all the underclassmen just being a year older, jumping into their senior year after kind of having a, a, a gut-wrenching loss the prior season, it really, everything was lined up for this season, and I was really happy to be a part of it. Um, but without that group of kids, I would not be talking to you today. So I'm very proud that I was able to be named head coach and work with them again. Okay, now I want to talk about that prior season that you just mentioned. So, so walk me through that because you guys were downright dominant two years ago. And I think, yeah, sorry if I cut you off there. Yeah, no, um, that's fine. I think that, you know, after we won that championship game, these, um, the two years ago, these kids were sophomores. Um, that pressure, I think maybe have got to them as a, group of juniors, you know, we were, you know, you just won, you're a year older. Why won't you do it again? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And I think a lot of that um, kind of weighed on them. And at the same time, they were only juniors, you know, that's a lot to expect from a group of 17 year olds. Um, 
so when we had that loss, we had a couple, you know, losses in the regular season. And then to get to the OAC finals again and to be playing against one of the most talented um, Baldwin-Wallace teams that have ever come through there probably. You know, they got shut down in the Sweet 16 due to the pandemic. Um, to lose to them that way, to go out and then not get in the NCAA tournament, I really think that set up a, a path of fury going into now this sophomore group that won the championship to their senior year. And, you know, with all the uncertainty and unfortunate events of COVID, they really just focused on themselves and knew no matter what they were going to win. And that's really all that they wanted to do was win. They wanted to play and they wanted to be successful. Um, so I think that they did a really good job of kind of finishing their careers on the highest possible note. So walk me through this because you're having all of the success, but then there's the coaching change. Can you talk about that and how that all played out for you? Yeah, um, you know, nothing but the best um, wishes and so happy for Kelly Marone and to go to Merrimack College in Boston, Division One, and be a part of something like that. But at the same time, that was a bit of a distraction and um, loss, you know, for this program, for me, for the team, especially during a pandemic where things are so uneasy as is. So what I did in all that was just reassure the girls, you know, this team that I did not want to go anywhere. You know, I, I wanted to be at this university in some capacity. I didn't care how it was, whatever I had to do. I just wanted to be here to be a part of, especially this senior group since I kind of started with them. Um, and I just really kept the communication lines open. You know, if they had a question, I answered it. If I didn't know the answer, I told them that. And if I could find it, I did. But it was definitely um, not an easy time. And going through the hiring process and everything, you know, I had my team in here. They were asking me questions. I was asking them questions, just trying to figure out what they wanted to continue and what they wanted changed. Um, so I think that really helped lead into a season of, once again, a lot of questions. And we just kept the communication lines open. And I think that's something that's really important on a team. But see, one of the one of the, the reasons I think, well, actually the reason I think you are so perfect for the podcast is because here here's a coach who's been there a while and has this has built this very successful program and I'll say you know probably on her terms and here you are I mean I mean just really getting started as a coach you coach a little bit in, you know in high school mm-hmm. and you move over you know you move over to John Carroll and you're you're an assistant coach but but you, this is your first job. And so so explain to me, like, what was your approach taking over such a successful program as a first-year head coach with, with and I'm just going to say a coach, with, with, with not a lot of experience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was by no means easy. And I'm not going to lie, it was a little scary. And there's a lot of pressure um, that I felt going into this. But You know, Kelly Marone was actually a brand new coach for me when I was here as a player my junior year. So I really, um, to start, thought back to that. I thought back to her coming in, you know, granted, I was here with these kids, so they did know me. She was completely new and a new staff um, to, you know, an old group of juniors and seniors. So her path was a bit different than mine. But I remember how excited she was and how she wanted to know everything about all of us. She asked questions. She wanted to be around us all the time. And that really made me as a junior um, with a brand new coach feel like, okay, she's here for the best reasons. And all she wants to do is help me be successful. So, you know, I clearly learned a lot and um, a lot from her as a player and then working under her, um, a lot of how important relationships are. And that is where I just kind of put my head down and ran with, I'm going to keep this team as close as possible to me um, and ask them questions, ask their opinions, hear their thoughts to just make sure that my transition from an assistant to a head coach, because a lot of people probably don't realize it is a, it's a huge transition, you know, responsibility wise, but also relationship wise, because now I am kind of the, the bad guy, you know, the assistant coaches are kind of that filter that can, the good stuff goes to the, the head coach, but sometimes all the little stuff may not get to her. So that's kind of a barrier we had to work on as a group together and bringing in a brand new assistant coach. She is now that barrier that they've been speaking to and she's doing a great job. 
kind of knowing what what to filter to me and what not to. Um, but I think that realistically, it all comes down to just my appreciation for the Division three level and my appreciation for this university. So with those two things in mind, that is how I view every player's conversation before having it. You know, they I went through the same thing they went through, and I think that's what makes my job special and work. I'm not a Division one player sitting at a Division three school. I'm a Division three player who had success um, sitting at a Division three school having success. So it kind of makes for a real conversations, and it also allows um, well, it doesn't allow them to get away with much because I was in their seats at one point. What we're really, I mean, what what we're talking about here is communication. And, you know, when the transition is made, you you said one of the first things you told them is, I want to be here. I'm not going anywhere. This is, you know, this is where I want to be. So they're not walking around in a dark room wondering what, you know, what's going to happen? How long is this, you know, how long is this going to be? You know, who is actually going to be the coach? You know, who's going to be there for us? You know, so you establish that right away. And then to have those individual conversations and the thing that you said that, I wish I would hear could hear every single coach on the planet say is you asked for their opinions. And and I think, you know, it, when when it's a player coach, like it it I, I think it means so much to a player when the coach is asking them, you know, what, you know, what is it do you think I should be doing or what should we be doing and getting that input do you feel that that was a, a key contributor to, you know, keeping the culture intact? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I actually just wrapped up um, postseason meetings, you know, early, end of last week. And that was a thing that came up a couple times, especially with my um, point guards. You know, when we're on the floor, I'm not out there with them. Our staff's not out there with them. So the question a lot of the times, maybe we need a, a quick score or maybe we need to just hold on to the ball and be comfortable. It's not as easy for me to say, well, run this play. You know, I want to know what they feel comfortable running. So, you know, if I'm talking to my point guard, Hannah Bucci, and she says, well, I, when we run streak, we don't drop the ball and we feel comfortable in that all the time. Well, then go ahead. You know, me saying a different play because I like it more in that moment may not be the correct answer because I'm not on the floor with them. I don't know who's feeling tired. I don't know who has this defender just will not leave them alone. They're following me, coach. They're holding me off. They're doing this. You know, there's a lot that goes unseen um, on a floor. Unfortunately, I wish I could catch everything, but it's, it's just not part of it. So that's something that I always did. And, you know, going into a game, it's, it's, what do you think? What do you think that we're best at going into this game? And I love to hear what they think because I hope we're on the same page and I would appreciate um, if we're not for them to tell me, but at the same time, it's their opinions, their confidence go into their opinions. So I need them to step on that floor with the utmost confidence in themselves, you know, because I have it in them and I could throw 17 different ideas at them, but what do they feel the best doing? Because when you feel the best, you play the best. It's like that saying, you look, you look good, feel good, play good. That it's totally true. So that's really why I, I communicate with them as, as much as I do. I may do it too much, it, you know, but I definitely want to know what is going on in their heads. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying here. And, and the key, I think, too, is when you ask for their opinions, you listen to them and you deliver on them. So if they do come to you and say, hey, coach, maybe we should run streak here. And if you go, no, 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 we're not doing it. You know what I mean? You, you know, it takes one or two, maybe three times and then forget it. That right. line of communication is over. And for you to recognize that, I give you a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Trust me, there, there's some of their opinions. They're not heard. <laughs> Do we have to go at 6 a.m. today, coach? I'm tired. Well, yeah, I know you're tired, but 6 a.m. practice is kind of non-negotiable. But when it comes down to playing and even, you know, chemistry on the team, little things like that where I, I can't be as involved in, most coaches can't be in, as involved in as we'd like to, that's where their voices are the most important. And on the court, you only get so many timeouts a game, you know, whatever, whether it be media or a regular timeout, they need to be able to discuss out there and they need to be able to discuss with each other. So I think that's why that's so important. Well, and I just think that, to, you know, to be able to have that, that 
safe place. I mean, it's, it's, it's called a team, right? I mean, everybody, everybody is involved. Everybody's invested, right? At least that's what, that's what we're, you know, that's the point of my podcast. I'm trying to, right. you know, hopefully we're, we're, we're all learning from this, you know, whether you're, you know, you're on the sideline or in a boardroom, I mean, and you're managing people like, like it's a team of people and everybody, you know, should get their little, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, they're a little slice of the pie, but more so, you know, everybody's invested, right. And everybody should, you know, be able to, you know, to have their role, know exactly what their role is. Right. And then be able to have that safe space to, to share, you know, their thoughts and opinions without either a being ignored or, you know, something even worse, you know, maybe like a bad reaction or something. Is that, is that another thing you picked up on as a player, like the, with the coaches you had? For sure. I I mean, coaches are, especially at the division three level, I think we wear so many hats and I know Kelly as a player wore so many hats for me, you know, they're academic advisors, they're nutritionists, they're the mom away from home. They're the coach that's making you better Then they're, you know, they're um, an employer that's teaching you how to grow up and be ready for the next step. They're just someone there that for advice that they went through it and this is what I did. So I think that's something that's really important. You know, I, I try not, it's not just about basketball. There's a lot more to it. Um, so I try to share that with the girls as much as possible. And I, I want to be involved in a lot of parts of their lives um, while also making sure that we're getting better every day in the gym. And I hope that they, appreciate that part of me. I'm sure a couple of them maybe don't want me involved as much as I am, but you know, it is what it is. I like to be involved and I like to know what's going on. Um, that's a big part of me. So that's how I kind of operate. Well, you know, you mentioned it, it, it coaching on the, what division three, whatever coaching in college presents, you know, a, a, just a unique set of challenges because in high school, you know, the kids come to practice, the kids go home, the kids come to practice, the kids go home here. The kids may be coming from, you know, 500 miles away, right. you know, and, and, you know, there, there's, there's all of these other challenges that go along with it. And, and so here you are, you know, barely out of college yourself, you know, <laughs> I mean, do you think it helps that you're at this point still kind of close to their age? I, I really do. Um, I think that it, you know, like I said before, one, it helps me being a John Carroll alum. So I've had some of the professors, I've walked the halls, I've slept in the dorms, I really do understand all of that. Um, But even my assistant coach who is younger than me, she remembers what it's like to like just recently maybe disagree with her coach or maybe have a a tiff with a a teammate and kind of how she handled it that way. Um, Also something that Kelly brought and that I want to continue to bring is the young coaches, the the basketball active coaches. I like to play with the girls, you know, coach Mick, she wants to get in there. And I think that makes practices more fun. Um, you know, we always do a drill three on two versus the coaches and the players should hundred percent beat us every single time it's three on two. But when we get that deflection or they miss a shot and we get all excited because we're still competitive as ever, clearly um, it creates this fun culture where for like four minutes, it's the team versus the coaches and I think that it brings them closer together and it brings me and, you know, Coach Mick, my staff, um, just a bit competitive and we get to show them kind of what we want them to be like and what we want them to do and things like that. So we always try to incorporate little things um, during a practice where we're involved because I think if I'm able to at least, you know, sit in a stance and get over a screen, they're much more willing um, to do it when I say to. So I think that's something important too that Kelly brought into this um, program and that I hope to continue to bring into it. Well, one of the things that I've learned talking to coaches on the podcast or ones who have been coaching a while will say they look back on their career and when they first started out and they necessarily, they don't, they didn't really necessarily engage with the the whole team culture thing they were more about i gotta win i gotta win i gotta win it's my way or the highway i gotta win you know and when they look back it is you know it took them time over the years to kind of learn that to 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 say you know you know like like what you're saying to have to have a little fun at practice and so you know I, i give you a lot of credit for for being able to to be that comfortable you know within yourself to to allow the girls to have that fun and to, you know, to, to I guess to let them pick on you a little bit, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> they do. Trust me. They, 
they always pick on us, but it's, it's all good fun. And um, what I think is the most special is when I allow them to have fun, it means they're getting their work done, right? You know, clearly winning is, is quote unquote, the most important. Everyone wants to win, especially in your first year, you want to win. And especially after following up a year, two years of winning. But what I think was an easy transition, but also a hard transition, like I stated before, um, is from going from the assistant to the head coach, you know, I was the fun one as the assistant. I was the one they came to with any problems, um, with any excitement, with any tears, with any anything. Um, and I was the one that was there for them. So that communication with this class especially hasn't totally stopped. And I would never want to stop that. Whereas some of the younger kids now are going to the assistant just like prior to me, you know? Um, so that we're, we're able to build such different bridges with such different kids. And I also think when you have fun with them, it shows them that they've done what you've asked them to do. Um, they know there, there are bad practices and they can tell that kind of we've disappointed mom kind of look that I may be giving off. So I like to, you know, if we just had a great game and we took care of the ball and we out rebounded and we really shot the ball well, well, of course, I want the next day, I want them to feel that because me saying great game sometimes just goes right over someone's head, you know, and you can call kids out left and right. Well, so-and-so had four rebounds and seven assists and blah, blah, blah. Um, but if they don't feel like that trust and that that true excitement for how happy you are for them, I think it kind of gets missed and it kind of gets, okay, well, let's just next game, we have to move on. But really, I think that they need to feel the joy of every win, especially this season, because every win and every game was just a blessing. So I really wanted them to feel excited about every little triumph that we had. Like everything you say, I have like two or three questions <laughs> about what you're, <laughs> you know, about what you're saying. And, you know, what I'm, well, you know, what I'm, you get me thinking about now is like car, you know, the, that communication that you have with the girls, but you know, you talked about how you're the fun one, right? But when you get the head coaching job now, mm-hmm. like I could see how easily that could turn because yes. if if you're not comfortable enough with yourself and your style and want to keep that style, I mean, you could go from the fun one to the czar in a heartbeat. Did you think about that as you made the transition? Yeah, and it's something I, I'm still thinking about because it's kind of – um it's finding your your voice, your technique, I guess, for better lack of words. Um, what are what's what are you gonna do? You know, I was the fun assistant. Now I'm the head coach, and I am the boss, and I am in charge, and the hard decisions land on me. So how am I going to um, outline that to people? How am I going to express that to people? How do I express disappointment um, with them still feeling safe to come to me? All of that kind of plays into trying to find my head coaching identity without changing who I am as a person. So that's something I'm still working on, um, to be completely honest, because if you met me, I'm a very upbeat, positive, loud, happy, competitive person, where there are times in the head coaching seat where positivity and happiness is not really how you get through things sometimes, or how you, de- how you get to certain people. You communicate with everybody very differently. I've got kids in the office that say, you know, thank you for talking to me calmly after that, you know, awful game. And I've got a kid that says, I just, I need to be yelled at to really understand what is going wrong. So, you know, very different personalities. And I've got to find a way to communicate with all of them, you know, in a way that they all respond. So that's something that I think probably a lot of coaches are still trying to find their way because. Coaching females, there's way too many personalities and you're never going to hit all of them with one way. So it's still a work in progress, but I'm just trying my best to make sure that I get across my point and that it's understood the first time so that we don't have to get into the constant repeating of what is really asked for. But I, you know, and you can disagree with me, you know, I'm fine with that. But but part like I, I think that it's on the coach to, to recognize when you have players, like you said, like you said it perfectly, like one player yell at me, the other player 
Don't yell at me. But here's but here's the other thing though, coach. Especially and what you know, we, and I've talked to you know a couple of high school coaches, and we get into this conversation, you know, with the high school kids, and then you know, I mean, they're not much older when when they get to yeah. you, but but I, I think sometimes it's on the coach to go to the player to facilitate that communication because I know enough kids who are just not comfortable mm-hmm. going to the and it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. Like yeah. just go up to the coach and and thank him for letting you pitch on opening day. Uh, yeah. uh, like you would think you're asking him to go, you know, jump off the ledge or something. Like they just yeah. don't have it in their nature. But what do you think about that? I mean, am I off track thinking that it's, you know, maybe the coach no. needs to, you know, f- to facilitate that? No, for sure. Um honestly, just like I said before, we just wrapped up postseason meetings. And a couple of the a couple of these kids, because you know, I draft up questions for them to answer, so it, to to spike the conversation. And a couple of them said things to me that one, I had no idea they had feelings like that. I had no idea that happened during the season. Um, you know, all those little things. So I, I put that on me and my staff, and I said, "All right, well, now we've heard this. So to fix, you know, something, I Coach Kelly Marone always said to me, if a mistake happens, just never let it happen again." So, okay, now we know this, we're never going to let it happen again. So if it's a kid saying, I really wasn't sure on my role all season. Well, trust me, I promise next season, everybody will be aware of their role. Now roles can change, of course, you know, with hard work and how things happen. Um, But I think that that was really awesome for these kids. Now I wish they would have said it sooner, but maybe that was a coach's job to go up to them and especially the quiet ones. And say, how are you doing? Like, what what is going on in your life on the court? What do you need different? What do you like? Um, and not kind of save it for the end. Um, that's just typically how we've we've always done things. So I I save those postseason meetings and I save those questions until the end, where maybe it would have helped a kid um, in the middle of a season to ask them those things. Now in my mind, you know, I said the same thing. I said to my assistant, I said, well, if she was worried about it, she'd come to me. That's not always the case, um, especially with a freshman or a sophomore who are, in my mind, babies, you know? So I think that it's a great thing to have those questions just on my desk. And when a kid that doesn't typically come in, just ask them, because I think I'll learn a lot more about them um, mentally dealing with basketball. Whereas maybe it was just always, how's school going? How's family? How's this? And they say, good, good, good. And in my mind, I think they're great. But I didn't ask, how do they think? You know, their playing time was affecting their um, overall experience as an athlete. So I think that's um, something that I'm going to definitely continue to work on and grow um, with my team and with my staff as the seasons grow, you know, get longer and continue. Well, there's no doubt that we're both John Carroll graduates, because as you were answering one of my questions, two questions ago, I wrote down on my notes, roles to ask you about roles and, and and you talk about it here. And I, and I think that to me, it is so critical to and and I think it 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 you know and you just experienced this within in your postseason meetings but you know if if a kid is unsure of any part of their role they're walking in a dark room and you know what you know Mm -hmm. how it is when they're when you're kid right it's it's exacerbated right (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know and and when they're just unclear and unsure and then you factor in I'm not comfortable going to the coach Mm -hmm. there's no confidence like they're, they're playing, they're looking over their shoulder the whole time. And so like I, we got into a conversation I can't remember what, what coach was, what podcast it was, but we got into a conversation about specifics. And, and I think that it's very important for coaches to, you know, you can ask specific questions, but I think also you, you, to, to let the player know there's the specifics of their mm-hmm. role and what and what they're doing and what what they need to be doing what you want them to be doing let them mm-hmm. know that you you're happy with what they're doing you know because yes. that's the other thing we talk a lot about this is positive psychology do you feel yourself using a little bit of that positive psychology too when you're discussing roles and 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 just building up players strengths mm-hmm. i think Yes, I definitely want to use that. But I also think when we get to the higher level, um, they're hard conversations, but everyone has to be realistic. So, you know, I can say to a player, 
you're having great practices, you're doing awesome in practice, you work really hard. But is that really translating to why they're only playing maybe two to three minutes a game? You know, so I think that's where coaches need to be, and myself included, need to be very um, transparent if the kid is asking. If the kid is asking, they want to know. So that's where I think that transparency needs to come through, where it may be as simple as, well, right now, you know, you're behind A, B, and C because they're putting out these stats. And right now in practice, I only see you producing this stat. And while it's great in practice, I don't know that it would be beneficial in this game, things like that, because I found, you know, you could be very positive since I am a very positive person. I can tell a kid that they had a great practice every single day, but if they're not playing on Saturday nights, they're confused. So I think that's where the honesty and, you know, in these middle of the season meetings and these after practice um, meetings, all that needs to be honest and where, who you're actually behind and why you're behind them. And it also helps, and it's it's not always fun because I don't believe stats make a kid or win games. You know, the best player may put up 20 points a game, but maybe we won that game because of the sixth man. And I'm always very, I want to be very aware of that. The, the little minutes are sometimes the biggest minutes. But I want to be honest with those, those seven, eight, nine kids that right now you're behind 15 points, five boards, and six assists. And I need you to be able to pull out these these stats to make a difference. Um, so I think those honest conversations are not easy, especially with females, um, but I think that they're um, appreciated. And I know if I was in their seats, I would want that. I wouldn't want to continue to hear that I had a great day. I'd want to hear what I needed to hear to get better to play um, and to keep growing. And the other, you know, and like we talked about earlier, the other half of that though is, is delivering on that, right? If you mm-hmm. say, you know, you know, this is what we need you to do. And, and, and the player starts doing it, you know, it, it, the onus is on you to deliver on that and provide those minutes. Have you, you know, so obviously you're agreeing with me. So you, you yeah. recognize that as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's a scary, especially as a first year head coach, um, you know, cause you're, you're up games, you're winning games are close. It's, getting it's believing in your players and giving them that trust but you know we're actually doing something this year um my assistant mick thought of it um like a shooting chart and as simple as you're if you're putting in extra work maybe you have a green light and i think that's where it's a hard trigger to pull but if they're showing you that they're putting in the extra work and that they're growing you owe it to them and to yourself and to the team to give them that chance now if they come in here and sit and you tell them what to do and they're the first out of the gym every day. It made that conversation for you really easy. You know, they, they don't, they just want the easy way into the game, but it's the kids that are willing to stay after put up this work, ask questions, lean on older teammates or starters and ask what they need, because that's also something we look at as a staff, you know, um, Olivia Nagy are one of our best post players. How do you get live the ball? How do you, how does Liv like the ball? Ask her. How do you get comfortable playing with her? And I think those are all little things that go unnoticed. But if a coaching staff sees you doing it um, and you're telling them you're doing it and the team is saying she's doing it, that leads me to more trust in that specific player. And see, you're saying all of the magic words, trust, believe, (laughs) confidence. And you know what? That all, you throw it all in the pot and that creates that culture you know, that you're talking about in that safe space where it becomes, you know, it starts to feel like a family on the floor. Yes. And yeah, because I think I, sorry to interrupt you. We do a really good job. I think of a family outside of the floor. I think that a lot of programs probably do. Everything feels fun and easy and you can mess around, but the moment you're on the floor, it's like, you know, business. So that's where it is harder to still have fun still know that they, you believe in them, you trust them with the ball in their hands. You know, it's not as easy. It's, it's easier when they don't have the ball in their hands. So once it's in their hands, how do we make sure, and I still am learning and continuing to grow, and how do I make sure that they feel my trust when they have the ball in their hands? One of the things I did want to ask you about is the, the off-the-court things that you may do to help build team culture. What are some of the things you do off the court as a team? Well, this was a very strange year being my first year as a head coach and, you know, not uh, technically not allowed to be in a group or do anything 
outside of basketball um, without COVID testing and all that. So it was a very strange first year. But honestly, um, in the past, we do a really good job of just setting up things for them to do that don't include basketball so that it gets their kind of minds going about different things and where you learn um, more about each other. We also do um, a lot of service projects together. Um, our favorite is to bring in um, Mayfield Village. It's a group of um, disabled adults that come and play basketball. And I really put it on the girls to set up. So, you know, they make a practice plan, they set a playlist, they get the gym set up and they get everything ready. So it really has them all working together for a bigger cause. And I think that always helps conversations going. Um, something I'm starting this year is just this big sister, little sister academic um, kind of branch where maybe a senior, a business, business major senior is paired up with a freshman that's interested in business. So that right away, I've kind of given them a common ground because it's not always easy. Everybody is very different. Everybody has different interests. The loudest person on the team is going to intimidate that little freshman. And they may never have a meaningful conversation if you don't give them that, listen, business is your common interest. Ask questions about teachers, classes, you know, how many you should take during off season, during regular season, things like that. And I am hoping that that continues to just grow um, the friendship because it's just not easy coming in as this, seven, you know, 17 year old talking to a 21 year old. It's a very different age, gra age gap. Um, so I'm hoping that starts that. But otherwise, I think that our leaders um, do a good job of keeping the atmosphere um, and, you know, the outside court stuff just open and enjoyable. You know, they're always in here joking around. There's 17 different group chats that are going. I'm in four of them. My assistant coach is in five of them. You know, we just we really want to make sure that that what they're saying we hear, whether it be their favorite food or they can't believe this happened on The Bachelor last night and little things like that um, make them know that we want to be involved. But, you know, again, a, a different set of challenges, right? Because, you know, not only are you dealing with that age gap, but you got, you know, you got kids who are away from home and, you know, when when they leave the gym, like, where are they going? What are they yeah. doing? Do they do they have that circle? that they can, right. you know, that, that can to help insulate them on those. And, you know, I mean, especially when you're freshman, you know, you have those days where you're like, you're missing home or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, something, you know, something's going on and, you know, you just start thinking, man, I wish I was home right now, you know, yeah. like when they have those moments. And so again, different challenge for you in keeping that culture together is, you know, I guess helping the girls grow up. Mm -hmm. It is. And that's why, you know, once again, just talking with them and getting to know them, especially freshmen who are the quiet, most of the time, very quiet and just, you know, reserved is getting to know them where, okay, if I'm talking to this freshman and I, I find out she loves museums and is very interested in working in a museum when she's older, that's now something I keep in the back of my mind where maybe I get an email about um, an internship or just a, a service project or a trip, anything like that where now I can forward it to them and talk to them about it. And you, you remember when you said this to me, and this is what I think would be cool, because it's also very important to get these kids involved outside of basketball. Because while the degree gets you a job, it also, what else gets you a job is resume you know, fillers. So you were involved in this and you were involved in that. Like while it's great to have four years of basketball on there, it's also great to have this service project or this internship or this um, retreat that you did anything like that. So I really, and there's some kids, you know, that they're here for academics and basketball and that is what they're interested in. And that's what they excel in. And that's totally fine. That was me <laughs> when I was here as a player, but there are kids that want to do so many things. And I just want to help them do that so that when they do graduate or when basketball is over and they have that off time that they're having fun and they're enjoying college because you know, four years goes way too fast. And as much as I love my job, college is a lot more fun than adulting. So I just want them to have fun when they're here and enjoy it. So coaching on the college level, you, you spent a little time on the high school level. What have you sat back and thought about, you know, the, the differences, maybe some of the challenges, what's, you know, what's easier coaching high school kids than maybe college kids. Have you, have you had that conversation with yourself? And if you had, what, what, yeah. uh, what kind of things come up? 
Well, some of the differences is, first of all, high school kids think, you know, all coaches are just the best. They know everything and they believe anything and everything you say. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> um, and that's a very fun atmosphere to be in. Whereas when you get these college kids, they have these personalities and they have the confidence. A lot of them, like I said, it's an open door to ask questions and wonder why. Um, and that's always a different conversation to have with them. But what I really, really love about college and especially this D3 level, I'll never stop preaching about it, is I'm not paying these kids to be here. They are getting absolutely nothing out of besides gear and a couple free meals um, to play college basketball at John Carroll. You know, they are truly competitive, dedicated student athletes where they graduated from a high school where maybe they loved their basketball career or maybe they hated it and they want to fix it. I get, I get both stories. Um, so I really am getting this dedicated kid that could easily just come here and go to school, could have easily gone to a bigger state school um, and really got that, you know, division one football, you know, experience, college experience, but they're choosing these institutions, you know, like in the OAC to really um, finish what they started when it comes to a sport. And that's why, I mean, the OAC, every conference in Division Three is really challenging, but that's why I think that it's so special here um, at this level because I'm not giving them anything. I don't own them. They go home for summer. They get, you know, breaks here and there, and they can do whatever they want, but they're choosing to, one, develop their games constantly, to communicate with me and continue to ask questions, and to come back year after year and endure a six-month season while their some of their friends are, you know, going home every weekend, going home for a month long Christmas break, they're they're choosing to be here. So I think that's what makes it so special, and that's why I appreciate um, this level and these student athletes so much. Do you think that your approach to team culture on the college level would transfer to the high school level? Um, I don't know. I feel like at the high school level, and I, I, I was like this a bit more when I was at the high school level, they almost need a bit more structure, you know, and where like, it's kind of my way or the highway, because we do know so much better. And I, you know, now that I'm in the college, college coaching world, what I would love high school coaches to do is to care and to push their athletes to do the things the right way and not treat it like a um, extracurricular activity, you know, because it is a serious thing. I mean, you, you see certain high schools um, that are very disciplined in whatever it may be, running an offense or setting ball screens or getting over ball screens, you know, and you can tell those coaches have drilled it into these kids' head, like, this is the way we're going to do it. And those kids typically, you know, excel once they get to a college level, wherever it is, because they were so used to doing something this way that they're able to do it now the way you're teaching it, whether it be the same or different. Um, I've had kids that get to this level and they're like, my coach, you know, we had, we had 88 plays and I felt like nothing, I couldn't do anything right. And it was, it was rough, but it made me a better person. And then they get here and they excel so much because now they're finding all these different wings that they can, you know, fly with when they were just doing very well with one before now they do great in that. And I've thrown six different things at them that they also are learning and growing with. So I think it is a bit different. And I'm not saying you should ever, you know, my way or the highway with every single kid. But I think as a, a culture in high school, it should be, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do well with it. But that element of fun and trust and all of that, that I think is what really mm -hmm. needs to, I mean, to me, that's what has to be across the board you know, mm -hmm. with, in almost every program. What do you think? Yeah, I think the more you communicate with the kid and want to communicate with the kid, the more they're going to want to do for you. You know, I think that goes, I have a three-year-old son at home and I plan to be that kind of mom with him. I don't want to make him afraid to come talk to me. And that's how I view all these kids. I want them to want to come talk to me, come share the joy, come share the awful, the awful day you had so that I know what's going on in your life. If I don't know what's going on in your life, there may be a day at practice where five of them just had the you know hardest chemistry test and they all thought they failed and they're, they're not there. They're mentally just not there. They're exhausted and they're wiped. 
if I'm not aware of that going on, practice is going to feel miserable because I'm going to be on them and I'm going to be pushing them and not understanding why they're not performing to their best their abilities. Whereas prior to if this conversation happens, I can gear practice in a way to make them feel successful when they didn't feel successful leaving that classroom. Because sometimes you need to feel success um, after a failure. And that's not always easy to get out of kids or to come up with a practice plan. But I think if you can find a joyful moment and a successful moment after a fail, that good will continue to happen. You know, after a loss, it's it's not fun. We shouldn't have lost. But did we only turn the ball over maybe 12 times? And that's really impressive. Um, did someone shoot 100% from the free throw line? They're little victories, but you don't want to leave something and let the awful feeling continue. You should feel bad about it and you should grow from it, but you shouldn't hang your hat, you know, you hang your head and just feel feel bad for yourself. You got to grow up and just move on from that moment. Yeah, you know, I mean, I you know, I I call them the silver lining moments. There's always, you know, there's you know, even in a loss, you know, there's always those silver lining moments. And you know, and co- this so this is like usually this is the part of the, the podcast that I'll that I'll ask the, the coach, "Hey, take a look back at your career, at the beginning of your career, and, and tell me, like, what would you be doing different back then? Now, here's the difference with you. We're at, your, we're at the beginning. Yeah. So this is a first for me. But here's what's great about you, Coach. You have already done. You're already looking at yourself. And you're already yeah. making changes, which, you know, you're, 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 you're smart enough to admit, you know, just like you said, what you learned in those, like you could have easily heard that player tell you what they told you in that, in that meeting. And you could have been like, oh, well, whatever. But no, you already made a note to say, I am going to change. And that to me is so critical. Um, yeah. I mean, not just for coaches, but for, for anybody who is a leader of people. And I give you a lot of credit, coach. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's not easy because, you know, I, I want to think that what I'm doing is right, but people say it all the time. I don't know what I don't know. So until I figure it out and fully understand it, I think that there's always room for growth. And I think that that's going to continue to happen throughout my career because I'm also a very an understanding person. I'm not, I, I'm stubborn to a certain extent of what I want to be stubborn about, but I know that everybody is going through something different. Everybody has a different background that can teach me something. Um, that's why I love my assistant, uh, Michaela Barnes. She comes from Edinburgh University. She has a division two background that I don't have. And that helps with recruiting, that helps with um, practice plans, that helps with postseason and off season. And just bringing her on staff has taught me so much. And same thing with when I call Kelly Marone now, um, d- prior Division One background and now current Division One, you you learn so much from different conversations and even their rosters. Well, this kid always does this. Oh, that's exactly what I'm going through right now. So it's it's always awesome just to communicate with different people and be open to hearing what they're having to ha- hearing what they have to say. And I hope that I can be the same for somebody else. Uh, you know, and that's one of my lines has always been, you know, like, I'm never going to know it all, you know, and, no. and, and, you know, to me, like, and it sounds like you're taking that same approach and like, yeah, just always constantly learning, you know, from the people around you, you know, it, uh, I don't know, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, for sure. I'm open to it. I'm ready to keep learning for sure. So one of the other things you you've done is coached AAU. And, and with, you know, through the NBA, talk a little bit about that. And then also like, you know, we, you know, culture with an AAU team, what, what is it, what, you know, what was your role uh, with that, yeah. with that NBA AAU? Well, when I was coaching AAU, it was very, it was younger kids. It was younger girls. So it was very different from where I'm at now. I mean, I had sixth, seventh and eighth graders um, and had them all growing up and they're all now, I think seniors in high school. So it's been fun. I'm actually recruiting a couple of them. So it's been cool to kind of get their full story. Um, but AAU is very, very different. It, well, actually, I guess I will say it's it's similar to college. It's very different from high school. It's similar to college because AAU is bringing um, people from all different areas, all different backgrounds, all different high schools, and to get them on one team and to buy in to winning. You know, AAU, you get practice maybe twice a week, and then you're at a tournament all weekend with this group of kids. So I think that was very fun to start with um, because you got kids from 45 minutes away from each other, never met, 
their high school coaches are very different from me and very different from each other. So kind of starting and teaching them certain things that they may have never even heard of before or learned before really got my, um, my point of emphasis that I wanted to continue to get across as growing as a coach started. And even once again, just bringing them all together and having them introduce themselves and say two things about their program that they like and two things about their program that they don't like. So that they all of a sudden now have these little conversations they can have with each other, whether they agree on, yeah, I hate when my coach does this, but love when my coach does this sort of thing. And I think that's really something special to get the conversation flowing. Look at you, even on the, I knew that, I mean, I, if I asked the question, you're, you were going to show me how you could build some team culture on an AAU team. Unreal. You are, you could tell, I mean, you, you know, you graduated from John Carroll. So we knew, <laughs> you know, we knew we were, we were, you know, you were setting the bar high right away. But coach, is there anything else that you want to mention? Now we're going to, because we're going to do a couple of fun things here at the end of the podcast. We okay. always do some fun stuff. But before we wrap up the conversation on, on, on culture here, I mean, is there anything else that something I didn't ask or is anything else you want to, you want to mention about building a team culture, especially if you're a young coach taking over, you know, a program that's very successful? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been a great conversation. Um, Something that people have said to me, especially older coaches, is you can't change who you are. Um, I think that would be the advice I'm trying to follow the best that I've heard from people. Um, And it's not easy because you, you know, you look at all these head coaches and, you know, who you aspire to be, whether it be Gino or Dawn or who you want to be like, but I'm not a Dawn. I'm not a Gino. I'm never going to be them. So it's kind of finding your own voice and finding out um, who you are as a coach without losing who you are as a individual person. So that's something that I I think is challenging. And I would hope that all people would follow and remember um, is to be yourself. You know, I am not a mean yelling person. I cannot be a mean yelling person. Now, have I yelled? Yes. (laughs) Did I want to yell? No. Did my team make me yell? Yes. So, you know, you find your moments of, um, you know, anger, I guess, and for me at least, but I think that I try to stay as true as possible to myself. And that way the girls know exactly what to expect. You know, they're not going to get a different person every day. They're not going to get a different person from office to court. They're getting Beth. Beth Andrews with the advice. Great advice (laughs) for, for really any coach out there. And now coach. So one of the, one of the things that we like to do when we reach the end of the podcast is play, what's the coolest. And uh, one one of, one of the coaches that I talked to actually gave me this idea. And, um, and, and so the question is what's the coolest place you've ever played, coached or watched a game? Okay. The coolest place I've ever played would probably be um, Thomas Moore. It was my uh, junior year, the NCAA tournament. It was our first ever time at the NCAA tournament. We made it to the second round. And Thomas Moore at this time was the, you know, the, they ran Division three. They were just, they were studs. Um, it was going to be a huge challenge for us. We knew it. We had just played the night before. We were exhausted, but we were excited and ready. And this place, um, I, I've never probably played in front of so many people. It was just, it was packed, standing room only. You couldn't hear anything. Um, Kelly Marone actually got kicked out of the game, and I remember that still. It was awesome. Um, so very, very cool place to play. Coolest place to, what would you say, coach? Yeah. What, is there? Have you had a place where you or watched the game, either coached or watched the game? Does something stand out? Coached? Man. I mean, this, All you know. these games this year were pretty just yeah. impressive, like just different because there was no one in the stands and there were people in the stands. But I'll, I'll put it back to um, our um, championship game last year when I was the assistant. But we were at Baldwin-Wallace for that championship game. And just the support, since it was a close game, the support we had from the John Carroll community there, looking across you know, from our bench to this other side, it was filled. And I've never seen so many professors and you know, cafeteria workers, other coaches travel to see a women's basketball game. And I thought that was just really special. And, you know, the outcome wasn't awesome, but walking around the halls the next day, you had eight to 10 people come up to you and say something. So I thought that was really awesome to watch a game. You know, I don't know. That's a hard one. Oh, that's okay. I mean, everyone's, everyone's been to the queue. You know, I've watched many, many games there. 
But yeah, that's a hard one. I don't know. I would just want to say I like watching John Carroll when I watch film the next day. That's where I like to watch film from my my living room couch and watch the team play. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, like you know that, that like what a great experience. And again, you know, what 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 it always comes down to too when we when we talk about all this stuff. It's like you know the the memories that that come out is usually. I, you know, I mean, yes, it's about, you know, basketball and the game, but, but typically the memories that stand out really, you know, are about the things around the game, you know, like you're saying, you know, to see all the professors and all those different little, you know, little things that happen. So it's great to hear. Okay. Now what the, before we let you go, the last thing yep. we do is something called first things. I call it first things last. Okay. I'm going to give you a list of firsts. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So like the first f- question is what was your first job? Okay. My first job, like in college. Can you remember what was the first thing you got paid? What was the first thing you got paid to do? Even if you were like nine. (laughs) I would have to say probably work the scoreboard at Lost Nation. It's like a um, sports park near my house. And Mike Moran um, runs a basketball camp. And I think I worked the scoreboard for a couple of his games. And I probably got five bucks. (laughs) headed out of there each night. But that was what I remember doing kind of early on. How about first car? Ooh, first car was an old, like white, gosh, that's all. That's hard. I, I honestly, my first car was my grandma's cause she gave it to me and it was probably a 1999, um, Volks like Oldsmobile. That's what I remember from driving. <laughs> you know, See, now I have old cars. So me and my husband have like a 1950 Chevy and a 1971 Grand Torino. Like I can name those off left and right. But you ask me about new things or old, nice things. I don't know any of that. Wow. <laughs> so, we, we just learned something there. You So you're driving? <laughs> yes. These are the cars you drive? So the, no, we don't drive them. We restore them. So they were, you know, our grandparents and we now have them handed down to us. So we take care of them and we get them out in the summer. Occasionally we like to go to car shows, you know, bar COVID. Um, but that's kind of an old, that's our old soul in us right there. <laughs> yeah. And you said a Grand Torino? Yes. Like Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. It's blue. Just like it. <laughs> that's awesome. So how about, how about this first? Can you remember like the first record CD or cassette you bought? Oh, probably now, like now seven. Now I like I think that now eighty eight is out. Yeah, but probably now seven. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh yeah, we we used to buy those too. What was your first concert? Aaron Carter. Oh really? Yes, Aaron Carter, and he actually it got postponed when I was supposed to go. It was like supposed to be a Friday night, and it got postponed because his bus was stuck in like a like an accident, so he was going to be late. So they moved it to Saturday. And I actually like had a basketball game. So I had to come right from bas- my basketball game to go to this concert. And I just remember being so annoyed, but <laughs> I remember going. But you remember it. And now it's a, you know, it's a great, yep. it's a great answer on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> it's awesome exactly. to hear. So, and then now, okay, this is present day. What okay. is the first app you check when you get up in the morning and you grab that phone? What's the first app you're going to? Probably Snapchat. I'm probably going to look at Snapchat first. Really? Yeah, I am. I, I All my friends, you know, I'm 27. So all my friends are still very snappy and, t- you know, we're always communicating that way. And so that's something I like to look at first. But the, the team is getting me on TikTok and I have to get away from it because that is an addicting app for sure. <laughs> are, are you doing any of the dances? Or you just watch no, them? no, no, no. <laughs> I just I watch them and then I text the team and ask them why is this a thing and they try to explain it to me. Isn't it crazy though? Because like I it do the is. same thing. Like you just stare at these people doing these dances, you know? <laughs> and they'll I have just, like four point seven million likes, and I'm like, why? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm right there with you. We should you should do like basketball TikTok and be like shoot shoot bat you know i don't know shoot free throws shoot three-pointer come up with stuff like that something that people can learn from exactly (laughs) we should that's what i can start is a blue streak tiktok and it can explain you know things around campus that are happening yeah yeah, perfect there you go hey (laughs) coach thank you so much for taking the time to uh talk what what an enlightening conversation thank you so much thank you for having me i really enjoyed this and i i look forward to hopefully keeping in touch with you and 
maybe being on here again one day. Oh, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Remember, Co, if you guys know a good, a great coach who's out there doing great things, winning games, building a great team culture at the same time, we want to hear about him. We'll probably have him as a guest on the podcast. You can reach out on Twitter at Courtside Pod Number One, on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, build your players' strengths, find them all a role, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.